You are listening to Venerable Voices, a production of Experience Engaged. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, all you good people. Welcome to another episode of Venerable Voices. I'm Cindy Kellogg, your host and an Experience Engaged Fellow. And I am beyond excited to share with you today's conversation I had with the irreplaceable, ever-inspiring Marcus Robinson. I've known Marcus for many years, dating back to the work he and I did together in support of Susan G. Komen, Colorado. Marcus at the time served as a pink tie guy in support of his wife, Sandra, an equally inspiring member of our community and a breast cancer survivor. Fast forward time to today, and I recently learned of some incredible work that Marcus is doing, founding the 501c3 nonprofit Ride for Racial Justice. Launched around the time of George Floyd's killing, Marcus is committed to having the tough conversations that we all as a society need to have to move forward as people, to move forward as an inclusive community. And I am just awed by the steps that Marcus has taken using his bicycle to thread humanity around our state. And I cannot wait to share with you that conversation. So without further ado, Marcus Robinson. Welcome, 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 my friend. It's been way too long since we've seen each other for one. Um, but in the interim, I've just been learning about all of this amazing, amazing work you're doing uh, through your foundation and what that has meant to you personally, what it's meant to our community, all of those things I hope to touch upon in our conversation this afternoon. So welcome, welcome, my dear friend, Marcus Robinson to the stage. <laughs> how are you today? Hey, Cindy, how you doing? So great to see you. It's great to see you. We're all kind of in these boxes nowadays, but hopefully we'll see you soon out in, in the real world. That's my hope too. And and for uh, Miss Sandra to be able to join our party too. I miss her. Oh, oh yeah. She, <laughs> you know, she's my wife. What can you say? She's a survivor. So that's what we do during this pandemic. So, but all good. I'm just happy to be here today. And I can't believe I, you said I have a foundation. That is crazy. <laughs> well, I just think it's awesome and it's so inspiring. And maybe that's an appropriate place for us to start with how that came to be, um, the story behind it, and we'll go from there. Yeah, thanks, Cindy. And, and really, thanks for reaching out. And, you know, we've got a great network. And, and I have to give a shout out to our, our dear friend, Christian Battenfield, because, you know, the bat, she just knows how to hook up everybody. So big magical. shout out. She's magical. She is. So, you know, our foundation, um, Ride for Racial Justice, it's crazy how it began, right? So, so Cindy, whether you know this or not, I've been riding in my racing my bicycle for decades, right? Which is kind of shows all the, the fuzzy stuff here. And, you know, I've always ridden a bike. I had a bike before I had a car, you know, during high school, college, even after college, my first job, I still use my bike more than I use my company vehicle. It was just something I love to do. And then I also raced. I had a chance to race here in Colorado, both on the road and then at the velodrome down in Colorado Springs. 
just enjoyed that uh, immensely. And, you know, once I realized I was never going to be on the top step, you know, at the, at the Olympics or something like that, I continued to ride my bike, rode it for fun. It was good for my head. Um, it relaxed me, just kind of gave me a sense of, of space. You know, I was able to see places in Colorado and through all the country and the world for that matter on the bike, right? And it's a great thing when you're looking at the bike from two wheels and the world slows down and you're just enjoying this, this great country of ours and, and throughout the world and been doing that all my life. And then we had George Floyd, uh, the death of George Floyd, which uh, I think it's, we're going on almost two years now with that. And where I ride out where our house is, it, I ride a lot of country roads and have been riding them for years. And after George's murder, for the first time in my life, Cindy, I was afraid to ride my bike because of the color of my skin. And, and you know Sandra, uh, she's very afraid of, of me riding, doing what I love and being in a place that where was common and easy for me to ride. All of a sudden I felt afraid because of all the things that the country was going through at that time with, with people of color, people that look like me. And I posted something on social media, my dear friend and, and coach, and, and he's now the co-founder of, of, uh, of the R501, Neil Henderson. And I've known Neil for probably 15 years and Neil coached me my first Ironman and he's coached athletes throughout the world that have stood on the top step in the Olympics, as well as, as the Tour de France and world champions. And, so we got a great relationship and he reaches out and he's, he's reaching out on Instagram and doing an Instagram live. And he's got his mask on and he's driving and he's crying because of what I had said. And he said, that's not right. He pretty much said a lot of words that we can't say, you know, on, on this platform and uh, he said, we need to do something about this. And I said, yeah, you know, um, I don't know. Let's go for a ride. And he said, well, we'll do a ride. And I said, yeah, Neil, then what? He said, well, he said, we'll have the crew because I ride with a lot of folks up in the Boulder area. And he said, we'll get the crew together, which are some Olympians and so forth, some fairly notable cyclists. He said, we'll ride with you. I said, yeah then what? I said, I still want to ride my bike. And if I'm not riding with you guys, um, you know, what's that going to be? And we said, well, we'll figure out something. We said, well, let's, how about a community ride? Community ride. Okay. And so literally within probably 10 days, we mapped a ride to start in the city of Denver in the Five Points community, which is the oldest Black uh, neighborhood in Denver, and a lot of history down there in Five Points with all the jazz and so forth back in the 40s. And, and so we'll start a ride down there and we'll do like 10 miles. And I said, okay. And we'll, we'll have conversations. So, so it all started back. We just wanted to talk to people that didn't look like us, look like me, right? And have a conversation of what's going on with race in America. Like the real 
conversation with people on bikes doing what we love and just talking about the state of our country, you know, how it was just transformed into all this negative stuff. And, and we just need to talk, you know, like you and I are talking right now, we're just talking, right? We have no agenda. We're just a couple of friends just talking, trying to figure it all out because no one really knows, right? So we reach out and before you know it, um, I got a buddy of mine from work. He decides he wants to shoot a public service announcement. So we shot a PSA announcement in like 30 minutes. We went to the park, we shot a PSA. Next thing you know, Governor Pola says, I like what you guys are doing. Um, he shot a PSA for us. This is like within 10 days, right? We hadn't even done anything yet. No foundation, nothing hadn't written yet. That so, sounds like a force of Marcus to me, the force of Marcus. <laughs> it's a force, you know, all of our, everything was just kind of coming together. And we show up downtown, down at Five Points at Coffee at the Point. They've been such a supportive uh, business down there, coffee shop down there. We show up, about a hundred folks show up, right? From all over the place. And we're all riding bikes. We're doing all this slow crawl through Five Points, up through um, Park Hill, then all the way up through uh, the upper end of Park Hill, coming down Mont View, going through City Park, by the Dr. King statue, and then down through 17th, and then we're back. You know, it took about two hours to do 10 miles. But it was cool because we're talking. So it was Neil and I and all the rest of the crew we're just having these great conversations and we're finding out that we're actually all alike. And what was going on in the country was pretty much not who we are, right? There was this fringe that was destroying who we are. And for me, I found out that there's people that, that love this sport as much as I, and why I was feeling like I was feeling, they said, that's just wrong said bikes equals freedom, which is our slogan. Bikes is freedom. We shouldn't have to worry about the color of your skin when you're riding a bike. But for me, who I am right now, I was afraid that I wouldn't come home. Somebody would hit me in a truck, put me in a ditch, never come home again. That was not gonna happen. And so all of a sudden we found these folks that believe like we do. And right now people say, oh, I'm an ally or I'm an accomplice and I believe in all this stuff. I say, you know what, thank you very much, but that's not really how it's supposed to work, right? What it means is that we're all together for the common good. Just don't say it, don't check the box. Don't be the company checking the box and say, yeah, I rode with Ride for Racial Justice and I understand what it means to be like me. No, we gotta work together. We have to be willing to sacrifice and sacrifice means a whole lot, which means that if someone says something to you when you're riding your bike, you get mad. You come to my aid or someone else's aid and you surround that person with your power and collectively together we say, no, that's not right. That's not how 
the world is supposed to be. We stand up together, then we fight all that negativity. We fight that racist behavior. And then we start talking, then we actually start coming together because we find out we love to ride bikes. <laughs> when you love to ride bikes, it changes you. There's some folks that are faster than others. Some folks are just, just cruising around like my wife. She just, she's got her, her cruiser. She's like, na, 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 na. You know, just like the Wicked Witch of the West. Na, 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 na. That is her. She's not trying to be on the top step. She's just having fun. But she has the right to come home safe too. She shouldn't have to have mace. You know, she shouldn't have to think about how to protect herself. She should just be able to ride her bike without being afraid. So, so Cindy, I know that's a lot, right? I know we got a little, a little time, but that's how it all started. And then guess what? It was so successful, 100 people show up. We go to Boulder two weeks later, blew it up in Boulder. All of a sudden we got 200 people riding. We're talking, we're having conversations. We got more Olympians. We get more social media coverage than, you know, we've got the Denver Post, we got Velo News, we got all of our cycling trades, finding out who we are. And we're just a couple of guys doing what we love, but we're having that conversation that people are afraid to have, right? And then we said, okay, let's go to Fort Collins. So we go to Fort Collins. Another buddy of mine shoots a amazing video and I'll have to give you the link. And he actually had shot some pieces for National Geographic. He shot this, yeah, he shot this crazy video of us. 300 people, maybe 400 people show up in a park in Fort Collins and we're riding 10 miles and we're having these conversations. This one woman, she stands out, she says, Marcus, I'm that lady. I said, what do you mean? She says, I'm that lady you talk about. I've got privilege. And, you know, I like wearing yoga pants and I've got Starbucks and I've got the dog and all that stuff. I'm that typical stereotype person. But I've never interacted with the BIPOC community. She said, what am I doing wrong? I said, nothing. But what you're doing is right now is what is important. We're talking. And if we start talking, then we find out that there's a lot of commonality between all of us. And you don't have to say that you're privileged. I don't care if you've got privilege. Privilege has nothing to do with this. What this has everything to do with is what's inside. And the fact that you recognize that you were just a little bit different, but don't use privilege as, as like the scapegoat. Just say, I haven't had that opportunity. I'm not going to be mad. There's some folks that I've never had the opportunity to talk to either, but I'm not going to hold that against you. We're just people. Then we went to Colorado Springs. Oh my God, we showed up to Colorado Springs. All these people that look like me, <laughs> we show up in Colorado Springs like, hello, guess what? We're here. And Springs, you know, there were some cycling groups that found out, you know, we were all over Instagram and all of our platforms. And we heard you guys were coming down. 
because we're riding our bikes and all of a sudden we see this big crowd of folks up on the hill. We get worried. As we get closer, they're waving. 25 people from this local cycling team decided to show up and support us. We rode with them. Oh my God, that was a blast. They become our partners. We share information. And then I had this crazy idea. And people who know me, they say, all the folks on my team, they say, I talk too much. Well, I, I can't help it. Yes, I do, because I'm really impassioned about this. So after the success of, of the whole year, right? So we did this from June to like October. And then I had this crazy idea. Let's put 25 BIPOC athletes uh, at the largest gravel race in the country, which is the Steamboat Gravel Race. Okay. Never been done before. Never have 25 athletes been at a start line that look like me at the start line, not as a figurehead, but as racers. So talk to Steamboat Gravel. Uh, Amy Charity, who took it over after their founder, uh, Mark Sakowitz, tragically died while riding his bike. And we didn't think we were going to pull this off. But Amy Charity from Steamboat Gravel, love Amy. Amy's like my little sister now up in Steamboat. We get to talk and Neil and I and, and, and Amy, she says, you guys want to do what? I said, yeah, we want to put 25 athletes from all over the country on the start line not just to show up, but to race. And when was this? August 15th, we just did it. So from last December until August 15th, we trained these athletes virtually, 25 of them. We had this amazing application process. We got to see who they were on Zoom. Wahoo, you know, Wahoo, the, uh, the company that makes computers and hardware monitors, they came on as our technology sponsor, provided all the athletes with all the tech. We trained through the Sufferfest, which what Neil writes as he's the director of sports science for Wahoo, trained them. Um, we provided their flights, their housing, their kits, their nutrition, um, their food, we raised over, I think we were probably like $40,000 we raised on our own. We provided bikes for those who didn't have a gravel bike. And we showed up in Steamboat a week before we set the place on fire. We had one woman that finished on the podium who had never raced before, right? That's incredible. I mean, that's incredible. A kid who's 24 years old raced, never raced before, came sixth, came in sixth in the 24s. We had folks that raced from 25 miles up to 145 miles. They raced, they worked hard, they busted their tails. We had bikes given to us and loaned to us from, from Cervelo, from Trek, from Cannondale. All these folks believed in us. We put these athletes out there and folks are going, where have you guys been? We've always been here. The problem is you never looked for us. You put together the strongest 
cycling team from all over the country, from Mexico, from uh, LA, from Lancaster, from Seattle, from Portland, from Denver, from Boulder, from Santa Fe, from Chicago, from Austin, from Dallas, from Little Rock. All the athletes came together. We raced as one. We all finished. And it was just incredible. Oh, and wait, Cindy, wait, wait. There's more. So Steamboat, right? Amy and her crew. She says, what do you guys want to do? I don't know. Let's have a panel. So on that Friday, we had a panel discussion with some of our athletes. Had about 200 people in a park. We're talking about real hard racial issues, equity, diversity, inclusion, what it means to be a person like me riding a bike and how to get to the top step or not be run off the road because of the color of our skin. Powerful, powerful conversations that we were having. People are asking questions. It's crazy. Then this one guy named Derek, he stands up and he asks a question. Real simple question. We answered it. Things over, then we start, we went on another community ride. And then he rolls up next to me, he said, Marcus, I'm in a position to do something to help you. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you know that, that kid that, that uh, Professor Lindo was talking about? Because one of our, our team is, uh, he's a, a lawyer, but he's also a professor at the University of Washington, uh, Edwin Lindo. And he has a, a, uh, another a cycling program out there in Seattle called North Star Cycling. Uh, named after the North Star that, that um, Harriet Tubman followed when she was bringing the slaves up. So they call it North Star. So he was talking about this kid. Family was not able to provide for this young man, but he rides his bike, rides his bike all the time. Rode his bike so much that Edwin and his team were able to get him a bike he started placing first and second in races, right? But he didn't have the means to go to college. He wanted to play basketball and he said, no, I can't be playing basketball. I wanna race my bicycle. Didn't have the means. Derek said, I'm your guy. Derek said, I'm in a position to give a full ride scholarship to this young man. Are you oh, Marcus, that me? just gives me chills. Are, are you hearing me? I am indeed. In because, my heart, I'm hearing you. You know why? Because we had a conversation. We talked about stuff. We used bike as that vessel. Then you start talking. I put Derek and Edwin together. They're talking on how they're going to get this kid this scholarship. Full ride at a university uh, in the Midwest who has an outstanding cycling program. They're gonna get this kid the scholarship, the opportunity that this young man may not have had. But how many others are out there like that? We're not asking for stuff. We just wanna be a seat at the table to have the conversations that people should be having.
I'm, I can't, I don't think I can even keep pace with all I'm processing right now. Um, well, first and foremost, <laughs> how do you feel? I'm still on cloud nine or cloud 12 or whatever. Yeah. As you should be. Um, what, a couple of thoughts I have, and I'm, I'm dying, first of all, to get on my bike and join you. Um, secondly, what kinds of transformations at the very rudimentary level have you witnessed through this process? That question will take a whole, that's, that's going to take a while, but let me, let me give you some highlights. Yes, please. One of our athletes, Lisa Muhammad, mother of five, Lancaster, Colorado. I mean, Lancaster, California. Okay. Husband died last year. She started riding a bike essentially a year ago, just before she started training with us. Okay. Um, her youngest daughter is, is six. And I called up one of my colleagues who I'd raced with out there in California, Kevin Evans over at Major Motion. I said, coach, I need you to send me some athletes to go through the process. And he says, you need to talk to Lisa. And, you know, obviously I can't be biased because I wanted, you know, a seamless process. Saw her video and, and she hit it out the park. She became one of us. This past weekend, Lisa stood on the top step at the California State Crit Championships in the master's category at 55 years old, she is now the state champion. That is, I mean, that is just awesome. And for her, she found out that she loved gravel, but she found out that cycling gave her purpose. Hmm. You know, losing her husband, tragically, and having to be the breadwinner for five, for, you know, for five kids. She found that, that cycling transformed her life. She had a family with RFRJ. Every month she was talking to us. We were talking to, to her on the side with our Zoom calls and our channels on Facebook and just text messages, checking in, how you doing? What do you need? And then finding out all these things and then having her, when I see her for the first time, having her cry, just an emotional, just boom. I mean, I'm getting emotional thinking about it now. Well, and I just, I think it's so profound, the bikes equal freedom phrase that has become your tagline. I really, every time you've said that on this conversation, I have thought to myself, the visual that I have on my bike and when the, the breeze is truly hitting my face and I'm looking around and you had said the, the world slows down and you're able to really just be present with your soul, um, that's really moving for me. And Marcus, I, I, I can't help but wonder what kinds of conversations you've witnessed come from that. When, when people are coming to the same realization that they have freedom at the same time on their bikes side by side, what kinds of conversations, like what is, what has that piece meant? Uh, you know, um, 
I, I think, Cindy, it's, it's a conversation starter, right? I think we right now here in this country are trying to figure out each other, you know, with, with everything being so polarized, right? And somehow being on a bike, we seem to be at a even plane for conversation, right? But there's an equity thing, you know, that, that we've got to go past, right? Yes. And I say equity, meaning equity is actually also economic. Right. Because bikes shouldn't cost $12,000. No, they should you know, bikes should not cost $12,000. They should not. And you shouldn't be getting your bike from the local uh, big box store. You know, cycling owes it to families right. to, to make things affordable. So you can go out and ride a bicycle with not having it fall down and break apart. Right. And, and for us, we're finding that because cycling, there's not so many of us that look like me that are riding, right? Small percentage. You know, when you look at the global network of things, but we need to see people that look like you and I in advertising, right? Yep. We don't need to have skinny guys and girls that look like they stepped out of a commercial. We need to see the moms and the dads who may not be that perfect weight. We need to see the moms and the dads and the grandmas that are riding their bike with their grandkids. And you see them represented in ads saying, yes, bikes equals freedom, no matter who you are. And we just feel that that's where things need to go. And these conversations that we're having, when I start touching on that, and when Neil starts touching on that, you get a pause. Well, and just in the short time we've been visiting, I'm also struck with the bike is attainable. It's within reach for all of us, regardless of our age, of our gender, of the color of our skin, of where we are in our spiritual journey. I mean, it's, it, it just is, it's a unifier, right? It, yes. And I, I'm thinking that must be the intention by which you approach this um, because it is one of the rare situations out there that has accessible opportunities for us as a global humanity. It does, it does. And, and that's a perfect, a perfect comment because there are organizations that, you know, like Bikes for Africa. I mean, there's all these, you know, Africa for being that very populous continent, right? There's organizations that are trying to buy bikes for all these impoverished communities. They never get the headlines, you know? There's bike teams that are racing down in Kenya and Ghana and, and so forth that never get the headlines and they're riding used bicycles where, you know, just several thousand miles away, you'll see guys racing in the Tour de France. They'll break a bike and there's another bike ready for them and they're gone. Whereas these athletes in Africa don't have that, that opportunity. Bikes should be attainable at all levels. You shouldn't have to be a world-class athlete to have fun. 
right? So that's another part of, of what we're doing at RFRJ, Work at getting people out there riding bikes, start reducing this health disparities, high blood pressure, hypertension, diabetes, which is killing our people. Mm-hmm. And we're doing it with something simple, get on a bike ride for a couple of miles. We can do that, but we can also, it doesn't have to be about racing. We wanna build good community leaders. And we just use the bike as a tool to get the community together to have conversations. We do that, we're gonna succeed. And I like to tell people, I said, so what are you trying to be? And I said, we're gonna be the NAACP of cycling. And they go, what? And I said, yes. I said, we wanna be that organization that can provide grants and tools and opportunities you know, micro grants in, in LA or New York, you know, or Houston or Miami, where RFRJ can go in there and start working with community leaders and set up shop and set up a community and get people on bikes and start having those conversations and making us part of the community. When people need some help and say, hey, we got this kid, he's really good. What can you do? We've got connections, put them together. DEI is not, process, is, is not practiced on a Zoom call. DEI is not practiced in a room. DEI is getting, is going to the community on your own and having a conversation, not be afraid of what you're going to hear. But the only way that's gonna happen is you need an introduction to get to the community. You have that. You've got everything that you want. You can check the box, but don't check it and just say, we're giving it to the community. It's not how it's done. You gotta be active. You gotta know who's the city council person, know who the church people are, know who the pastor of the church is, know the kids on the street, know who's at the drugstore, at the local dry cleaners, at the restaurant that everybody goes to. You know who those people are. You get connected, you come to us, we can help you. Marcus, I just love your spirit. I just, wow, wow. I I come out of this conversation with much to think about myself. Um, and just, wow, I will be looking for ways that I can support and help you, my friend. You are just, igniting um, the spirit of our human journey here. You are igniting it. And, and I am so full of gratitude for that. I, it gives me hope. What message do you have for our human experience? Huh. Uh, you know, um, Life is not an elevator pitch. You know, you need to be passionate about something. And as I'm in the twilight of my professional career, I have found something that I love dearly, which I've always done. And I'm finding a way to give back all these years to the next wave, right? to the next person. I can't die with all this knowledge here. Can't do it. 
I need to pass it along. And it's my duty. It's what I have to do for the next generation. Because when I'm gone and all the rest of the guys that, that I learned from, when they're gone, if we haven't had that opportunity to pass along these gifts, these life lessons, then we failed. You know, we failed. So glad you were able to join us today. And special thanks to Marcus Robinson, our guest whose passion, whose soulful journey, whose ability to inspire all of us are truly unparalleled gifts. If you'd like to find out more about the amazing work Marcus is doing to better our community, to better our journey, please visit rideforracialjustice.org. And until next time, whatever you do, be sure and make it count. Be well.